Bounds. My name is Patch Wetzel. I am your host of Bounds, the podcast on resiliency to connect you to your passion for purpose. I am so excited today to be speaking with a dear friend. I consider a mentor and a leader in my world, my dear friend Harvey Hook. He is the author of the Power of an Ordinary Life. Did I say that correctly? The Power mm-hmm. of an Ordinary Life. He leads, um, he, he's led, he's a stalwart figure here in Columbus, Ohio, where we gravitate our fields of, you know, influences together. Um, he is the founder of Convene Columbus, which meets every Thursday morning at seven in the morning. And then he's also founded The Gathering. So Harvey Hook, I'm sure there's more, but I could spend like a whole litany of words here just to introduce you because you've done so much in this amazing life of yours. So welcome, Harvey. I am so excited that you could join us for our podcast today. Thank you so much. Patch, thank you so much. I want you to know you're a one-of-a-kind person in my life. I love you. You inspire me. You challenge me. And uh, I'm not saying that just because we are uh, recording this, but yeah, you're true. You're true and authentic to who you are, and you're you're true to the person God created you to be. And I'm just delighted to be with you and share a few thoughts with you and your audience. Thank you so very much. Yes, we are still building, and I'm so excited to be able to introduce a rock star in my life. So, Harvey, um, what would you like our viewership, our listenership, to know about you? Did you say to know about me? I'm a uh, everyday, average, ordinary person. I'm the youngest of three boys. I was born into Northern Appalachian poverty. Uh, my father was a sharecropper. Uh, the The crop was not cotton, but it was lumber. Uh, I grew up in a family that loved me. I've had a multiplicity of experiences over the course of my life. I speak from those. Uh, my life experiences include working with severely, profoundly, mentally and physically handicapped, incarcerated kids and teens in Denver. Harvey, we're ch- we're, I'm taking off video. You might have to do that again. I'm so sorry, but we're choppy. So let's get off of video. So there we go. Okay, there you go. Let's let's do that again. I'm sorry. So what would you like our listeners and our viewership to know about you, Harvey? I'm an everyday average ordinary person seeking to make my way in life. Uh, what I will speak about today will be some things I believe to be true, uh, some things I know to be true, and all tied together with a, with a rich diversity of life experiences, including uh, working with severely and profoundly um, mentally and physically physically handicapped uh, teens and adults to working with incarcerated kids in Denver, Colorado, living and working in inner city Columbus, to working with uh, kids and families in third world poverty in the Dominican Republic, to working with business professional and government leaders anywhere from here in Columbus, Ohio, the state of Ohio, all the way up to the White House. And um, wow. I'm just delighted to uh, to be with you and your audience today to see what God might bring forth. Absolutely. And so you have packed a lifetime, like literally jam-packed uh, of activities, of mission work. How did it all get started? How, what was what was the calling that you heeded? I was a 14-year-old kid, and I didn't know if I was responding to good old-fashioned Baptist guilt or if it was a true calling <laughs> on my life to follow God and serve God. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, so funny that you would use 
guilt because you know as a catholic you know that's how we function as well so it it transfers to the um, baptist faith huh <laughs> but i knew i wanted my life to make a difference and i knew for me that i really needed to follow the leading of god wherever that might and um so i began a, a journey to become a psychologist and counselor and that led me to Denver, Colorado, and then that put me on the path to uh, work with incarcerated kids there. So that was kind of the initial launch. Uh, I tend to be a founder, visionary, creator, entrepreneur. I don't like standing in line to wait my turn. And there, that can be a positive thing as well as a negative thing. So I've tended to, by the grace of God, go out and launch new initiatives and ministry programs that by God's grace have survived me starting them and guiding them and then ultimately turning them over to others to lead. So would you be able to share us one pivotal moment in your life that cemented that decision? Oh, I know to narrow it. You've, you've done so much to narrow it down to one. So, you know, there, there, there is not a single pivotal moment in my life. Um, well, no, let, let me go back. Let me, let me deny what I just said. And by the grace of God and your editors, we'll be able to put this puppy together. Absolutely. Uh, I think when I was a, 14 years old. I was at a summer camp and uh, I, uh, I, I, I kind of went forward, kind of reded to dedicate my life to God in whatever direction he would lead me. So that would be the first most significant and pivotal moment in my life. That commitment to, okay, God, I believe you, you are as real as the air that I breathe. And because of that, mm -hmm. I will follow you wherever you take me. Is there one particular, like, so a gut wrench, you've seen so much, you've been so many places, you've worked with the underprivileged, the less fortunate, you've worked with uh, the incapacitated and the disabled. Um, share with us one, a, a, a character, a person, a personality that you've met that just stands out in this, in your experience. Here's one. You've got uh, some people. <laughs> and uh, here, here, here is one. Uh, her name is Viviana. And I met her in 2006. She was an 18 year old. She was an eight year old, beautiful, precious little Dominican child. And uh, she captivated my heart with her smile. And through mm. her, I got to meet her family, her two sisters and brothers, her mom and dad. And this little girl with what you and I would call next to nothing in life, had a joy, had a spirit, had a freedom, had a welcoming heart, who never ever asked me for anything that didn't come from a heart of love. So I think she has inspired me to look at all people equally, the haves and the have-nots, and give them the due honor and love and respect that they deserve. Whether I'm sitting next to Viviana at the family dinner table, not enough room for everybody, so the American is there welcome, the American is there fed first, while others go without, to meeting Dr. Billy 
Graham or one of the governors of Ohio to meeting Tony Dungy. What came through that experience was the value of treating each and every person equally as a beautiful individual created in the eyes of God. So tell us about your book. What would you like our leaders, our, our, our listenership to know about? The book, uh, The Power of an Ordinary Life. Um, I wrote it because I view myself as an everyday average, ordinary individual who by the grace of God wants to make a difference in the world. And I also firmly believe if you don't see yourself as that person, as someone who wants to make a difference in the world, then um, I think you're missing out on so much that God and hmm. this world have yes. to offer. Uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer was a theologian and philosopher of the last century. In 1974, he wrote a book called No Little People, in which he said, in God's sight, there are no little people and there are no little places. Only individuals who live their lives in consecrated moments of obedience to God. And when they do so, he gives them the ability to influence the flow of a generation. So a couple things. I viewed myself as a little person from a little place youngest of three boys, uh, grew up in New England, grew up in poverty, introvert, and nobody from no place. And when I read uh, that book, No Little People, it really spoke to my spirit. That's not how God sees me. And when I began to view myself as God sees me, it opened up an entirely different world. And so I wanted to write a book, The Power of an Ordinary Life, to help communicate that message to anybody and everyone who didn't feel worthy to write their name on the universe as God intended them. So the book covers anything from destiny, call, vision, purpose, mission, to living out your legacy as a child of God and leaving the world a better place to live. Mm. Firmly believe it. Absolutely. So is there a life, tell us about a life other than, so as you're writing your book, was like all the characters, all the inspirations in that book, other than Viviana, thank you for sharing about Viviana, who else helped you craft that book? Uh, it, the book is a uh, uh, the book is a book of uh, of stories, and mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm searching um, Elizabeth Elliot. Let me go with Elizabeth Elliot. A mission to the mm -hmm. Aka Indians in South America. She and four other couples, along with her husband, went to the most violent tribe of people on planet Earth. 50% of all people who die in the Aka Indian nation die from murders that take mm -hmm. place within their tribe or surrounding tribes. It is a violent, violent culture. 
her her husband and uh, the other men who went as missionaries were killed by the Aka Indians. Elizabeth Elliot, within two years of her husband being killed, she and another missionary widow wife moved in to the Aka community. Mm. And we see their loving patience giving to people who killed her husband to the point that the man who killed her husband became a follower of Jesus. And through wow. the testimony transformed the homicide rate of that culture 50% down to less than 10% over the period of a generation, the transforming power of the love and grace of Christ. So for Elizabeth Elliot to walk back into a people group of which she was not a member, to walk to a people group who had slaughtered her husband and be motivated only by love, I think I can learn something from her. That's definitely, yeah. And many of us are, you know, it's not within our capacity to feel that way. I'm, I'm growing, I'm learning in this walk, right? But yeah, I, I mean, I can't sometimes forgive others, let alone myself and some of the things that I've done in this lifetime. So, wow, that is totally, and, and to the point of death, you know, when you come face to face with that, goodness gracious. So tell us about you, uh, tell us about yourself growing up as a young man, getting into ministry and, you know, family life, what else would you like to share? Well, I, uh, so uh, not to the, uh, not to the extent of Elizabeth Elliot, one of her quotes I keep hanging around is, I've hung my soul on the sovereignty. So when you see, when you see your husband killed and you decide to hang your soul on the sovereignty of God, that's an all. So not to that extent, but uh, the last thing I wanted to be in life was a missionary. Well, I've done that in the Dominican Republic. Missionary, I've done that through the work of the gathering, uh, seeking mm -hmm. to share Jesus with business, professional, and government leaders uh, in, in Columbus, Ohio, and throughout the state of Ohio. I never wanted to be a missionary. I never wanted to be a pastor. Well, uh, I, I was a part-time pastor at a church for four years, so I had to die to self. I wanted to become a clinical psychologist. I wanted, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted my name on a shingle. I wanted it out front. I wanted to help people, and I wanted to be highly compensated. That never <laughs> happened. Yes. So there was a there was yes. a dream to my dream of success as a clinical psychologist and beginning my kind of my official ministry journey uh, with incarcerated kids in Denver, Colorado, where the 4,000 kids would spin through our doors uh, in 365 days. The average stay was two and a half days. And it was my job to be there and hang out with kids who were runaways or kids who were who had been um, convicted of rape, robbery, murder. And uh, mm -hmm. it was my job to go in there, be with them, love on them, and share Christ. So that's a lot different than sitting there suit and tie in my manicured office with clinical psychologists hanging outside the front door. But that's right. That's where my joy I first formulated 
in the journey I've taken. So you mentioned the gathering. For those of our listeners who don't know what the gathering is, take us down that road. So my, my work from inner city uh, kids uh, and incarcerated kids switched on a dime to, uh, I won't give you the backstory on that, but uh, switched on a dime to kind of one day, I'm driving a van load of kids uh, around the inner city of Columbus and kind of, so to speak, next day, I'm meeting with a significant business leader at a private athletic club and seeking to love on them in the same way I was doing to this uh, marginalized kid. And so the gathering was formulated to uh, bring business professional and government leaders together. Kind of the big picture vision, we wanted to address their moral, ethical, spiritual, and leadership needs. And so we put together small groups of men or women who met for prayer, Bible study, and discussion. And then we would bring significant, well-known speakers to our Mm -hmm. city who were recognized for excellence in some particular discipline of life, many times first before they were recognized by their faith. And then we reach out to significant business leaders in our industry leaders, government leaders, who would then chair the events. So it became okay to come to the gathering or the leadership prayer breakfast because XYZ person was chairing it and famous mm-hmm. speaker was speaking. Speakers, uh, Tony Dungy, first mm-hmm. African-American Super Bowl winning coach, Bobby Bowden, national NCAA national football, uh, Billy Graham. Right. Um, Immaculate Ilibagiza was a survivor of the 1994 Rwandan genocide. For 90 days, she and five other women were in a three by five foot bathroom, surviving the outrage in that company. She made her way out. Um, She eventually went back into prison to meet the man who killed her. She made it. America. She wrote her book, Left to Tell. So we would bring these powerful people with these life-transforming stories, mm-hmm. and we would challenge the leaders of our city and our region to consider love and to consider Jesus. Kim Fook, mm-hmm. the girl in the picture, uh, the little... Of, of, oh, yes, of, of Nagasaki, Hiroshima, the bombing. Yes. Right. The, the naked. She was part of that. Nine-year-old girl who survived the napalm bomb of the Americans. Yes. Vietnam. Um, she came and spoke with us and shared her story. I touched her arm. It was like mm. touching shoe leather. Physical pain that remains with her to this day. Her skin can't breathe over 40% of her body. She was at an event in Washington, D.C. years ago, and she met the man that dropped the napalm starter for life. So when you bring these sorts of heart-wrenching, overwhelmingly powerful stories to the leaders of the city, and the mayor is there, and the governor is there, and the heads of state are there. It cannot but create an open avenue for well-heeled, well-respected business government leaders for their hearts to be touched by the overwhelming love and power of Jesus. 
and that's the thing you know i with this our humanity we need to be reminded that these stories evolve and they change and it not be, need not be the be all and end all there's a there's a continuation for the saga for these experiences so and and the gathering became quite the name the respected name that it was in columbus and it was around for how long remind, remind me 30 years right you were around for 26 years and so here's how i well, yeah myself playing out in that so i was i was the david i mm -hmm. i had a wing i had five stones i really only needed one to bring goliath down <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I was the youngest. I was the quietest. I was, you know, off by myself. But I used my one stone in my sling. I was never mm -hmm. the focus of the work. Absolutely. There were other people. There were always volunteers. There were mm -hmm. uh, there were programs. So many people went into that. I simply mm -hmm. used my single stone to create the platform by which the message could be heard. Delivered. Absolutely. And so that's where this everyday average ordinary person could do what I do and God could take it and multiply it. And what a casting. Like when you cast that stone, my goodness, this reach and this ripple effect. In fact, it was in one of those meetings that I actually met you with, um, you know, through Dr. Marlene Carson, who is the founder of The Switch, which is a national anti-trafficking network, for which I believe you sit as a board member, correct? Yeah, I have been a board member in the past. I'm, I'm currently mm, not yes. serving in that role right now, but I did, yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, this, this ripple effect, you know, we just never know where God will take us how we will use how he will use it and even the within our experiences we get through do we get to do this life and even through the hardships all those hardships are used for the kingdom you know and in the kingdom we know little becomes much so so tell us more about your other adventures all the other things that you've chaired and authored that you'd like our listeners to know about you well thank you very much um i i've been um i've been considerably blessed god has sent his people to me at the appointed time to redirect me all those redirects have been painful uh, i moved from denver colorado to columbus ohio that was hard. I left my my work with um, marginalized inner city kids to suddenly work with business leaders. I was totally out of my element. Um, I pastored a church for four years. Uh, all of those were challenging experiences for me. Uh, but here here is one. Here's my current. Here's my current project that I want to talk about. I was in a. Uh, Three years ago, I was in a lunch meeting with five business owners. And during the course of this lunch meeting, spontaneously, they all took a moment to thank me and affirm me for my role in developing their spiritual life growth. They, they were all believers, all mature, all decision makers, but not a single one of them could tell me their purpose in life. I had an aha moment. Eight out of every 10 people walking around do not know their life purpose. I will say this as a follower of Jesus, if you only ever get to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, that's a pretty good starting place. However, um, I truly believe that we're all designed for a purpose. Uh, Dr. Miles Monroe, in his book, The Pursuit of Purpose, and one of my mentors, said, you, you were created for a purpose. And the very fact that you are here is because you, 
the world, you have something that the world, and so I created Purpose Live to help people discover and then fulfill their purpose in life. And so I'm very excited about this. We are launching Purpose Live Institute, the first of the year, a 10-month journey that will definitively help people come to know and understand their identity. Who am I? Mm -hmm. The purpose, why am I here, and how should I, that's your character. And so uh, it will be a deep dive. And, uh, you know, statistics tell us that people who know their purpose in life are healthier, they live longer, they carry Mm -hmm. less stress, and they're up to 38% more productive than their workforce peers. And I will also say they carry with them day to day a sense Mm -hmm. of know that they're walking in the center of God's will. I feel a tremendous and profound sense of gratitude to you because you've been part of that journey for me as far as purpose. And, you know, so all these things are happening at the same time. And I, I know that he has cemented this friendship, this sibling, eternal siblinghood, if you would, because it's walking in that same vein in this path that has been created for us. So when you're... Um, so how can people know more about Purpose Life? How do they plug into you, like, in, in this project? Um, we, our, our website, purposelive.org. And it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a new website just getting out there. It might be a little difficult to find right now, but uh, we, will, we will have logo. We will have graphics. We'll have my two-minute uh, uh, introductory video that will be made part of this podcast or through Bounce in your network. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. Will mm-hmm. determine. Uh, we're having a series mm-hmm. of informational meetings, September, October, November, December. We will go live in January. It's a tuition-based program. Uh, COVID has put us in the position of moving from live training and presentations mm-hmm. to virtual tuition-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's $1,200 uh, for the duration of the program. And here's what, uh, here's what I believe that uh, people who know who they are, identity, why they are here, purpose, how they are wired, and how they are to live character are best prepared to love, serve, and lead themselves and others in healthy, high impact ways. And that's called transformation. And uh, many times people say, well, wh- where do I begin to look for my purpose? Here's one thing that uh, <laughs> Scripture tells us, as well as science and research tell us, a purpose can uh, be found at the convergence of passion, what you love. And Patch talks about passion quite a bit. If you know mm-hmm. Patch, you know what she loves. Pretty, it's out there. Uh, passion, what you love. Mission what the world needs, vocation, what you can get paid to, mm-hmm. and profession, what you're good at doing. Now, now the world operates in such a way that not everybody who is pursuing their primary purpose can be full-time paid to do it. But God in yes. his grace will never deny us the opportunity mm-hmm. to live life yep. through our purpose. Um, if, if I man, may, then I'll shut up and let you ask me next question. No, 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 go ahead. A couple of iterations of my purpose in the days of the gathering that uh, Patch referred to earlier, when we were really trying to transform the 
the C-suite and other leadership levels in our city. I identified my purpose as to transform culture to transformed, to change the character and nature of the beliefs, behaviors, customs, and institutions of Harvey, the- may I interrupt? You yes. blocked, you, you chopped, you chopped up in that, in that moment. Say that again, transform, to say that again. Transform the beliefs, behaviors, mm -hmm. and customs of the people in Columbus to men and women who had been transformed by Jesus Christ. So uh, that was my purpose then. It's been modified today. Um, it's been modified to six or seven words that others would meet Jesus in me. So it's moved from programmatic personal, and it's harder to live this purpose than my old purpose because I can be held immediately accountable by any moment in time by anybody who knows me and knows my. So, from a secular point of view, could purpose be achieved with or without Christ or scripture? Um, and expound on that if you would. Well, uh, well, let me let me go back then. First of all, whose who's defini definition of purpose are we going to use? There are many people walking around planet Earth today who say, I know what my purpose is and I'm living it, and they're not a follower. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the ultimate fulfillment of true authentic purpose can only be fully actuated and realized through a relationship with God. Because when you experience the world through a relationship with you know who God is, you know who you are, and you have the gift of the Holy Spirit guide you. That's the entire package. Apart from that God part of the package, uh, you're, you're only operating, you're only walking through life on one leg. Thank you for sharing that. So I look at you and I see you as an incredibly positive, centered, um, you know, visionary. Was there a time where you weren't that convicted that you, I mean, I know that you have a very strong faith background but tell us about those dark moments when you weren't living out that faith. Are you are, are you comfortable to share that? Uh, yes. Um, hey, I, I hate to wait. <laughs> I hate to wait. I pressed in on God as a teenager, late teen, saying, I need to know that I know that I know what my mm -hmm. purpose in life is. While my friends were doing whatever my teenage and early 20-year-old friends were doing, I was leaning in heavily. And I look back at, number one, I wanted it passionately. Number two, part of it was fear. I, I kind of didn't trust God that if I waited, he would show up and give it to me. So that's the two sides of the coin. I passionately wanted it. The other side of the coin was like, oh my goodness, what if he doesn't show up and tell me? So it took me six and a half years to graduate high school before I made it to Denver Seminary to pursue a master's in counseling degree. Uh, that was a long journey for me. Uh, you know, as an 18-year-old kid, I was going to be married by the time I was 22. Well, I had to wait until I was 29, bumping up against 30 before I was married. I, that was hard. I don't like to wait. Um, and uh, another difficult time, you know, I was part of uh, the great, great team of people that helped to uh, co-found Central Ohio Youth for Christ. I came in yes. 
for people to launch that. And I had a hard exit from that. Uh, part of me did not want to go, but part of me felt this call to something radically different that I did not feel prepared. To. How do you leave what you're comfortable with doing? And quite frankly, in the public eye, it's you get far more accolades for working with troubled kids and all their needs and broken families than you do to, so what? You, you share Jesus with all these people who've got everything the world could ever offer them? Really? That's what you do? I've had people tell me, they don't need Jesus. There was this bias against those. And I was like, oh man, I'm suddenly very unpopular in certain realms of the Christian community. But I went where I was led. So those were difficult transitions for me. So, you know, so you're this, you have this leadership, you, you're a visionary. If somebody was looking into being a leader in a community, and, you know, I hear when you say, you know, when you do this purpose life thing, you will most likely be creating leaders who would be going out to do this work that you do. What is a common myth about leadership that you can debunk or that you wish you would have known in the very beginning? Uh, a couple of things. I would say uh, beginning point is uh, find somebody to follow. Uh, I'm not going to give you the definition of that, but find someone to follow. Your heart will tell you who you need to be following. God will bring those people into your life. So you want to be a leader, find someone to follow. Um, number one. Number two, uh, whatever you look like, whatever you think a, look, a leader looks like, uh, set that aside and look in the mirror. That's not it. <laughs> That's what a leader looks like. Mm -hmm. Go to the mirror, look in the leader. That's what a leader looks like. If a quiet, um, introverted, even though I'm using a lot of words today, guy who doesn't like to use a lot of words can lead, then you can lead. Um, I followed my passion. I followed my calling. And when you follow, God will give you opportunity. God will give you an opportunity to lead. He will lead you from point A to point B to point C to point B. He led me even when I didn't know I was being led. He led me even when he was teaching me things I wasn't, I didn't realize I was being. And then I look back and it's like, oh, I get to, I get to see what this tapestry looks like today from the top side, not the bottom side. I would say, um, press into God, get a journal, write. What's on your heart? What's it, what's, what does your head say? What's your heart say? What's your gut say? And write. I would say, find out who you are. Uh, I love the Enneagram assessment tool, Enneagram Institute. Mm -hmm. It will give you deep insights into who you are. And when you have insights into who you are as a person in your nature, simply knowing will hold you accountable. The Enneagram, I am a number nine. I'm a peacemaker. I'm the ambassador. I'm the diplomat. I make sure everybody gets heard. I'm incredibly comfortable being uncomfortable. I, I, I'm the only white guy in a room full of black. I'm I the only that. conservative thinking person in a room full of progressive. I, I mix races and creeds and colors together. That's what I do. I've learned that about. Oh, there's a downside. I'm passive aggressive. I, I can not act when I should act. I would say take some time to develop understanding Understand your spiritual gifts. Knowing that I am an apostle, a messenger, a sent one, tells me some things about myself. So I've done a number of different assessments that tell me who I am. I've done enough, a number of self-discovery questions to journey to an understanding of my distinct purpose. And I take and put all these pieces and parts 
together into Purpose Live Institute. I was going to ask you, yes, if you, if that was something that you would offer within the Purpose Live construct. Live Institute, yeah, we do the Enneagram assessment, uh, your nature, your character, your disposition, spiritual gifts assessment, your spiritual gifts. Um, we we read three books: The Power of an Ordinary Life, which is an overview of purpose; Upside Down Kingdom by Donald Craybill, because you cannot know. Fully, truly understand who you are, and I should understand the kingdom. And we read the book by Dr. Miles Monroe, In Pursuit of Purpose, a very practical journey to knowing and understanding that people will come out of this with their, their defined purpose in 12 words or less. They will come out with it with a series of life goals, and they will come out of it with a practical game plan for how they're going to live the rest of their life. Of course, until God interu interrupts it with maybe a better plan. But you will know where you're headed and you'll know where you're who you're heading with. So that said, can you say or would what what's one word you think people use for you or what what's one word that would use for yourself you, you would use for yourself to describe you? Uh servant leader. And if you had a superpower, what would that superpower be? I'll come back to that in one second. I, I would also <laughs> Uh, a servant, a, a visionary servant leader. Uh, here, here's here's my superpower, and actually, it's available to everybody. Um, love, love is the superpower. Yes, absolutely. And there's only one source of love. That's God Himself. So love is the superpower. And um, you know, the other here's another superpower for all of us: be the person God uniquely created you to be. Go do, go do you. That may sound like pop psychology, but oh my word, go and do. There is no other you out there. So go and do. Absolutely. And Psalm you know, 139. Yeah, we are afraid to do you. When I look at the you of me, I see the things that are lacking and wanting and don't measure up as opposed to looking at the you of me as god views me if we begin to look at the you of me maybe i just coined a new phrase and maybe it'll be the title of my next book the you of there me. you go absolutely god sees me. so you know there's a song on one of the most recent albums by you two yes out of your own god made a way for us to do it guy named jesus of nazareth yes he did and speaking of that you know so i'm one of the purposes i think no pun intended <laughs> i patrick and um, Patchworks Ministries, plus the Patchwork, is always looking for equalizers. Because, you know, we're all meant to be walking this earth at this time. There's no accidents here. And looking for equalizers. So tell me, when, you, when, when I say the word equalizers, what do you think? What comes to mind for you? Uh, equalizer. Uh, the first thing, I don't know where exactly where you go. I think of balance. Mm -hmm. I, I think of um, if I'm a visionary mm -hmm. and I'm communicating my vision to others, my deficiency is I don't explain all the steps from A to Z because I can see it, number one. Number two, I know it's going to work out. I don't always need to know how. Well, I need to be equalized by people who say, okay, I, I understand the vision, but I, I, I don't know how we're going to get from B to C. An equalizer will help formulate a better plan that other people can better understand. I should have probably defined that better. So with me, when I say equalizers, things that level the playing field so that there are no divisions amongst people. 
um, because that's that's one of the number one reasons why we feel that we need to fight for our space, you know, for this, uh, whatever it is, uh, this vision or the whatever that it is that is given to us is because we feel we need to make ourselves heard. Whereas if we create the spaces to be, to, you know, to make yourself heard, then it equalizes the playing field. So to me, that would be music and food is number one. Actually, yeah. that's my number one is, yeah. is food because, you know, la- language sometimes becomes a barrier. But what if you took away the language, you know, but you saw the actions, the, the serving um, that need not necessarily need language at that point anymore. Whites need right now towards an increasingly hyphenated white dash, African-American dash, this dash, mm-hmm. that dash. Filipino American. Yep. Equalizer. Let's get all those hyphenated people, put them together and have dinner together. Absolutely. Experiences of my life is sitting in a small home in the Dominican Republic, sweating profusely, Mm -hmm. sharing food uh, with people with whom I can fairly communicate. Asians, all sorts of backgrounds, sharing a meal together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Equalizer. Yeah, more people could sit down and share a meal together and get to know the other person, respect, celebrate, love all the differences. Because all of them are reflections of God and his glory and his... So because this is the podcast on resiliency, I need to address, you know, there will be setbacks in life. And if you would, the vernacular now is they call haters, you know, the people who are naysayers who people who have sized you up and say there's no way have you had those people and how did you overcome how do i overcome that um i need to hey i can get angry offended revenge seeking in a heartbeat all of those i don't need to think about that it comes with you know that's part of the equipment i was born with i have to think about loving responding appropriately. So where do I begin? I view them as an individual created in the image of God. They are fallen. They are loved by God. And I need to do my part in loving them. Um, Sometimes it takes a little longer for me to get there than other times. But resiliency, um, we need it right now. Here, Here is, I don't do little things to keep me resilient. I kind of unpack these things. These three things are my resiliency. Number one, I know Jesus. I don't know about him. I know. Second area of resiliency is I have family and friends who love me and hold me accountable. Third, I know my purpose in life. If I keep those three things in alignment, in that order, that is all I Yeah, Maybe the fourth thing is what we did last night. We had friends in our house. We had a wonderful, relaxed, light meal, conversation, fellowship. We just enjoyed each other. That reset me for today. So at some point, we're going to talk legacy, you know, so we're, we're not some point, but right now, legacy living. What would you like your legacy to be? My, my legacy will be this, whether these words appear on the tombstone or not, my legacy will be this. He lives on in the lives of others. Mm. Now, that's not unique to me. Quite frankly, everyone's legacy. So my 
What I want out of that statement is to leave a legacy, to leave a mark, to write my name on the universe in a way that exists in positive, helpful, transformative, redemptive ways in the lives of others. Example, um, back in the day, I was in Denver, Colorado, uh, working with the Youth for Christ program, Chaplain Denver Juvenile Hall. We were interviewing a guy who might join our team. And so the director of the program came to me and said, um, now we're going to bring this guy on. What do you think? And um, so I said, you know what? This guy, he is going to show up every, he will let nothing deter him from the goal ahead. He has the guts and the grit and the faith to be there long term. So I left Denver, Colorado in 1981. This young man, Tim Butler, stepped into my place and took the work that I had built and expanded it to multiple institutions, juvenile institutions in the state of Colorado. And this is 2020. Tim Butler is still there. So whose work was greater, mine or his? And it's not a matter of whose work was greater. Exactly. It's Can't doing in your day and your time until you move on. So when I talk about legacy, that's one concrete example. I All I did was say, yeah, I think he should join our team and I think he'll be fine. In one respect, that's all I really did. Everything else was him and God doing their thing together. And yet he's part of my legacy and we all have legacy people in our lives. So now I know what I know about you, Harvey, you have these meaningful conversations with everyone, like with all the people you meet, you engaged me immediately the first time I met you. Um, so, and I'm sure you would have sat in multiple forums, just like this, a podcast, an interview. Was there something I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked that you've never been asked before that you want the world to know about you? Oh my, you really brought me up short. <laughs> um, That's the power punch question. Oh, yes, yes, um, And take your time because they will edit it all. So okay. no worries. Um, yeah, let me, let me, let me say this, you know, expect the unexpected. So live life. We're not here to live life for the unexpected. I think we're, we're here to live life for God and he brings the unexpected. But what do I mean by live for the unexpected? So here's something. I am an 11th generation American. My ancestors came to the U.S. as immigrants on the Mayflower, and they touched down Plymouth in 1620. Wow. The ship was miles, all mm -hmm. four foot, 11 inches. Okay. But not a very nice man in many, many respects. So I am the Western European Caucasian who arrived on the American shores. Fast forward to 2010. My life intersects very directly with Dr. John M. Burke, who today is 91 years old. He is an iconic civil rights leader. Uh, he was almost beaten to death in the Brandon, Mississippi jail in 1970. His ancestors came to America in the bottom of slave ship. And the fact that his life, Black, my life can intersect from different ships for this day and time to work together in Jackson, Mississippi, 
in Columbus, Ohio, on purposes of redemption and reconciliation is something I find unexplicable and an unexplicable blessing to me. We look at one another as brothers. We look at one another as mentees and mentors and we're brought together by the common blood of Jesus. And he is one man who reminds me every time we speak, we are one blood, we are one race, we are one humanity, expected, unexpected. Harvey, I could talk to you forever. I have so much to learn from you. So I want to go ahead and close this out um, I, again to thank you just for your time because I know you're a very busy person and yet you, so, you know, you made time to do this. Um, the Bounce um, signature question is on resiliency. So define resiliency in your terms. Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh, oh my, I, um, I should have looked it up in the dictionary before we started. Uh, resiliency. No, but I wanted it in your terms, though. I know, I know. Resilience, I'll get there. You see, when you're, when you're an introvert, highly reflective, you have to run around the barn twice before you <laughs> say what you were intended to say. So uh, my, my pastor, Rich Nathan, he would define resiliency as left foot, right foot. Take the next step in obedience, in faith moving forward. Um, so resiliency, um, find, you know, I'm going to do what I'm called to do regardless. I'm here for a purpose. I'm going to live my purpose regardless. I will not be deterred. I will get up again tomorrow. Resiliency is defined by Elizabeth Elliot. I've hung my soul, my soul on the sovereignty of God. Resiliency, I cannot but believe that the best outcome for my life and for all of humanity. And if I can't believe that, you know what? I need to find a different God. I have a feeling that my team is going to have a hard, hard time editing this thing. <laughs> we might have to have a part two on this one because the goal is, you know, to do 22 minutes, 20, 22 to 25. But it's so hard. I don't know. I don't, after we've cleaned this up, this is going to be amazing. So um, let me go ahead and close up. Thank you so much, Harvey, for taking the time to speak with us today and for our listenership. Um, you will be able to find Harvey uh the information will be scrolled in front of your screen and we will go ahead and edit this amazing interview for you so that you'd be able to get in touch with Harvey directly, especially for Purpose Live. And for those of you in the Columbus area, we do have Convene Columbus that Harvey spearheaded a couple of years back. And we do that on Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. It is not recorded. However, as a result of this um, pandemic, we've changed our venue to do it via Zoom. This is your invitation to come join us there as well. But other than that, please find Harvey. Um, we will have his information there for you. My name is Patch Wetzel. I am your host for Bounds, the podcast on resiliency to connect people to their passion for purpose. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you again on the next one. God bless. Take care.